when you get to these sort of extreme levels, particularly with the US dollar as that global reserve currency, these things can't really stay here for that long without creating cracks in the system, so to speak. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Fears of contagion momentarily gripped markets in the wake of FTX's meltdown and bankruptcy filing. In today's episode, portfolio managers Winnie Jang, Chris McKinney, and your host Mark Rays explore the potential for future regulation in the crypto and blockchain ecosystem. They also discuss the latest inflation data, currency hedging, and the success of low volatility strategies this year. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETF weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm today's host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO Global Asset Management. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in. We appreciate your support and thanks for your time. Today, we're joined by Chris McKinney and Winnie Jang, both portfolio managers on our ETF desk, here to help us sort through some advisor questions and talk about some interesting market activity. So thanks to both of you for joining us today. Let's get right at it. First question that we've seen come in, and this has come in a number of different ways, but we've seen dramatic news come into investors with the fall of FTX as a further crypto stumbling block. What does this mean in terms of creating more concern for growth stocks? Or really, are we just still focused on the inflation interest rate story? Can you relate this as you respond to our NASDAQ 100 ETFs at QQ and ZNQ, and as well our new uh, ARK Invest ETFs led by ARKK, our BMO ARK uh, Innovation ETF? Thanks. Sure, Mark. And certainly, uh, as you say, a stumbling block for the uh, crypto community here with uh, FTX. As the bankruptcy proceedings uh, progress, you know, kind of more and more information coming out around uh, this scandal and what led to it. And in some cases, looks like just outright fraud. Again, in some cases, in terms of how this how this happened. For investors looking at what this means for, for the broader market and the broader ecosystem outside of just crypto and cryptocurrencies. To give an idea, and you know, we can only go on what we know so far with the FTX scandal, but it looks like there's approximately five to ten billion dollars in creditors, um, you know, owed uh, by FTX. You know, the top fifty creditors are about three billion of that, and so you know, in total, we're looking in the range of five to ten billion dollars. Again, that's what we know as of now. Um, to put that in context, you know, the Bertie Madoff scandal from several years ago was a $64 billion bankruptcy. Um, Lehman Brothers, you know, several years before that was, um, you know, 1.2 trillion and obviously caused, um, you know, potential risk to the entire financial system um, there. And so, you know, we're not talking about anything that's on that scale. Again, at least what we know right now. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that there were a limited number of 
institutional investors in this area right now. And a lot of that has to do with the regulation or, or lack of. And so we don't see this as a systemic risk to the broader market or any contagion uh, or significant contagion happening into other asset classes or traditional listed equities. Um, but it's certainly not, um, you know, doing any favors for sentiment from investors, right? And so, you know, I think in terms of how this impacts growth stocks, it's really just around that sentiment story, if anything. Um, it really is going back to your question, Mark, that interest rate story that we're still dealing with right now, how high rates are going to go, how long they're going to be um, at these higher levels and what that means for growth equities in general. Now, you mentioned our NASDAQ 100 ETFs. We have both ZQQ, which is hedged to Canadian dollars, and ZNQ, which is unhedged. You know, I would look at this area as, let's call it more traditional growth companies or established growth companies. You know, you think of the NASDAQ, you think of companies like Microsoft, Google, Apple, Amazon, NVIDIA. So, you know, certainly companies that are in growth areas and growth industries, but also have establish businesses under them and, and, and generate high levels of free cash flow. And so for growth-oriented investors that are looking, let's call it medium term, three years plus, the NASDAQ, I think, is a great place for investors to look in order to get that growth potential. Certainly, there could be, and we can talk about it further, um, heightened volatility in equity markets in general on a go-forward basis. And part of that is the interest rate story as well. Um, but for investors that are willing to take on a little bit of that near-term volatility in order to get that long-term growth potential, again, from established areas and established industries, um, the NASDAQ still provides that. Looking at a little bit more niche area, and you mentioned the ARK Invest ETFs that we have recently launched here at BMO, um, ARKK is the main um, innovation ETF that uh, you know, somewhat mimics uh, the the flagship fund that's listed out in the U.S. Uh, down in the U.S. And again, there's a little bit of uh, I would say sentiment um, holding things up in terms of those mega growth stocks. And I mentioned you know time horizons and with Nasdaq looking out three plus years for growth oriented investors. For investors that have an even longer time horizon. Um, you know, and let's let's start calling that five plus years. You know, these innovative, disruptive uh, companies uh, that Arc seeks out and looks to invest in. Um, I think most of that is is really unimpeded by the FTX story as well. Again, a lot of this is outside of just that cryptocurrency ecosystem. And so, you know, if you look at the holdings within Arc's main flagship fund, things like Zoom communications, Roku, Shopify, DraftKings. Again, also companies that we all know, just the industries themselves are not as well established as, again, things like Microsoft and, and, and Alphabet and, and Apple. Um, but certainly growth stocks that everyone can recognize and understand in established industries, um, you know, the ARC funds will provide exposure to those. And again, that's more of a long-term story. The interest rate component uh, is a headwind to those type of companies as well. Uh, but again, when you're looking out five plus years, um, you know, it's more about being invested rather than trying to pick out when to be invested. So staying invested for the long term. And so um, these ETFs are, are, are a great tool in order to do that. In terms of, you know, cryptocurrency itself and that crypto ecosystem, um, you know, one can argue, and I think um, 
Park has actually put out um, a couple of statements on this, and they could potentially argue as well that while this is a major, um, you know, negative for the cryptocurrency ecosystem for today, you know, over the long term, this might be, you know, a necessary evil almost uh, in order to get better regulation and transparency in the industry as a whole. You know, certainly Bitcoin stands out as um, uh, a leader in this space in terms of that in the crypto space, in terms of that transparency. Um, and, you know, Bitcoin actually came out on the other side of this as, you know, fairly unscathed because trading in that um, in that coin never really stopped. Um, certainly the price dropped initially on this news, um, but it has somewhat stabilized. And again, you know, there hasn't really been any issues with the actual trading settlement and things like that of Bitcoin. And so this leads to the, the idea that as an investor, when you're looking to make uh, money in this area, it's not necessarily the currency itself that's going to do that for you. You know, as I said, Bitcoin actually comes out of this looking very strong, um, but the value of that Bitcoin has come down, right? And so that's not necessarily where you're going to make the money. It's in those companies that are involved in the ecosystem. And that's where ARK, um, you know, specializes, of course, is finding those companies. So again, there will be hiccups along the way. Um, in the long run, again, this could be a positive for the industry as it actually leads to, um, you know, more regulatory oversight in this area. Um, you know, it, it, it probably sets back institutional uh, investment in this area by a couple of years, but it will create that necessary runway of transparency and regulation that would get institutional investors a bit more comfortable um, here to begin with. So, um, you know, a lot to consider there, a lot of different uh, outcomes and um, you know, really for, for the type of investor you are and the type of exposure you're looking at in your portfolio, you know, certainly a number of tools available uh, in order to do that. All right. Thanks for that update, Chris. Ready for tax time? Check out the BMO ETF's Tax Loss Harvesting Guide for 2022, which features trade ideas to help your clients navigate the year's end and harvest tax savings from underperforming securities. To learn the advantages, potential pitfalls, and best practices, access BMO ETF's Tax Loss Harvesting Guide today at bmoetfs.ca. Winnie, let's go over and talk about fixed income. Uh, we heard a quick point or two on inflation, but can you discuss the most recent CPI prints, uh, both in Canada and the U.S., and what that's meant for markets? And as you do, looking forward, uh, expectations for next meetings, uh, interest rate landscape looking ahead, and potentially some fixed income positioning. Thanks. Yeah, for sure, Mark. And yeah, you're right that um, both Canada and the U.S. released their October CPI figures pretty recently. And both countries actually surprised the market with lower-than-expected core CPI growth. And I can just give you a really quick recap. Um, in Canada, while the headline CPI came in just in line with expectation, the month-over-month seasonally adjusted core CPI came in at just 0.2%, which is the lowest print since November 2021. Now, recall um, back in October, the BOC surprised the market by hiking 25 basis points less than expected. And recent macro releases and the CPI prints in recent months also suggest that you know, like we, we may have start to see some impacts from those jumbo rate hikes by the bank uh, earlier this year. So I think it will be very interesting, you know, to see whether the bank will surprise investors again 
with a less hawkish stance in the coming month when they make the next uh, the next uh, rate decision. And looking at the U.S., both headline and uh, core CPI number took the market by surprise to the downside. We saw month-over-month core CPA prices meaningfully undershot expectations, growing at 0.3% and 0.5%, you know, expected, uh, while the year-over-year uh, core CPI also decelerated. The notably, you know, softer U.S. CPI number sparked a big risk-on rally across asset classes, with the S&P 500 surge 5.5% and the TSX jump more than 3% on the day. And we finally saw some, you know, recovery in bond prices with treasury yields uh, fell off a cliff. And as of right now, it looks like, you know, the market's pricing in a 50 basis point for the next Fed, uh, Fed hike and a 25 basis point hike by the BOC in December. And futures are also implying that, you know, we might see another 25 to 50 basis point hike by both central banks in the new year. So despite, you know, all the optimism we see in the market, I still think it's a little bit, you know, too early to declare victory over inflation at this moment. I think that massive, you know, market reaction we saw could be a combination of a hope-driven rally and maybe perhaps, you know, some positioning squeeze as well. Remember back in August when the U.S. reported, you know, their uh, July CPI, which also came in well below estimates and triggered a short-lived rally? That was followed by much higher month-over-month CPI prints in August and September. So I think it's pretty hard to tell right now, you know, whether the October CPI surprise was just another one-off headwind or was it a signal of a turning point in inflation. And also keep in mind that we will get another CPI report before the next FOMC meeting. So there will be still some, you know, for like uncertainties going into the next uh, rate decision. And although, you know, uh, markets are expecting rates to maybe peak around um, Q1 and Q2 next year. There hasn't been much indication of a cut anytime soon. So which means that, you know, rates are expected to stay elevated for like a little while. So overall, um, you know, I remain cautiously optimistic going into uh, 2023. And in terms, you know, how, uh, you know, how the uh, interest rate landscape would look like next year, I think it really depends on how much of a mean reversion in uh, inflation will be enough to motivate policy easing. Now, on the bright side, I think we're now much closer to hitting that hitting that um, peak inflation, you know, than we were a few months ago. But since it can take up to eighteen to twenty-four months, you know, for us to see the impact on the Fed tightening, I don't think things are going to change overnight, and there will be some bumps on the way. Um, in terms of uh, portfolio positioning, I will recommend keeping some core bond exposure by owning uh, ZAG, which is the BMO Aggregate Bond Index ETF, with a short duration tilt by holding ZST, the BMO Ultra Short-Term Bond ETF in the portfolio. This combo will basically allow you to, you know, keep, in, uh, keep you invested and give you, you know, access to the full curve while, you know, giving you the flexibility to act, you know, when the time is right. Great. Thanks for that update, Winnie. I appreciate those positioning points as well, particularly getting to ZST, which has been quite uh, popular in the market. Just looking at uh, our aggregate bond ETF, uh, ZAG, noticing it's up 5% from its recent low on October 20th. So although I'm sure a lot of us have experienced some pain in fixed income, it is good to see uh, that short-term rebound, hopefully a sign of things to come.
want to switch gears now and talk about currency hedging. Uh, we've had a number of questions come in, uh, particularly on international hedging, where, of course, there's been a significant decline in the euro this year, but a bit of a bump back over the last month. How are institutional investors approaching euro and USD heading into 2023? And how can that be reflected using ETFs? Thanks. Yeah, certainly, Mark, the story of 2022 in the currency markets has been the strength of the U.S. dollar globally, really, and a couple of reasons for that. I mean, first of all, the U.S. dollar acts as a risk-off asset. And so when equity markets are selling off and fixed income markets are selling off, um, there's, a, there's a little bit of a safe haven trade of investors going to cash and going to U.S. dollars, and that creates a little bit of a bid uh, for that currency. Now, the primary reason U.S. dollar is so strong outside of that um, is simply that, you know, the central bank in the U.S. is really one of the leading central banks globally in terms of raising interest rates in the near term. Um, you know, we've seen Canada as well be one of the leaders, and that's actually boosted the Canadian dollar as well. But particularly from the U.S. side of things, um, you know, with the, with the significant amount of interest rate increases, um, you know, that really is what, it, what is what bolsters a currency in the near term. And so those interest rate differentials between U.S. dollar and some other markets, you know, the euro included, um, has reached a very, very wide point. And so we've seen not just the euro, but other global currencies depreciate on the back of that as well. You know, at, at, over different points in the last few months, we've seen the euro hit its lowest level since 2002. This is uh, all against the U.S. dollar. The British pound, its lowest level since 1985, uh, and the Japanese yen, its lowest level since 1990. So we're looking at multi-decade lows in those major currencies relative to the U.S. dollar in terms of where they're trading. And you know, when you get to these sort of extreme levels, particularly with the U.S. dollar as that global reserve currency, these things can't really stay here for that long without creating cracks uh, in the system, so to speak. Other countries importing uh, goods from the U.S. Are, are paying more when that U.S. dollar exchange rate is higher as well. You know, commodities that are priced in U.S. dollars like oil, uh, copper and other raw materials also priced in U.S. dollars. That becomes more expensive for these other countries. And so you can't have extremely high U.S. dollar uh, levels uh, for a significant period of time. And so, um, you know, I think investors and institutions are looking for a little bit of uh, moderation in this area. And, and as you mentioned, we've seen a little bit of a bounce back uh, so far here in November. For investors looking at how to play this, um, or even for investors that aren't really looking how to play this, for better or for worse, when you invest in uh, U.S. equities or in global equities outside of Canada, you are uh, taking on that currency risk unless you invest in a hedge to Canadian dollar uh, instrument. And so regardless of your view, and even if you don't have a view, um, you are making a choice as an investor when you invest in these areas. Um, so if we take a look at the BMO MSCI EFI index ETF, uh, ticker ZEA, that's the exposure to the broad markets, the broad developed markets outside of North America. Just a currency exposed versus the hedge to CAD ETF ticker is ZDM that gives you the same exposure to those countries and those companies. Um, the hedge to Canadian dollar version ZDM is about 8% better in terms of performance year to date to the end of October. 
Conversely, when you look at a U.S. dollar investment for Canadian investors, and as an example, we can look at the S&P 500, ticker ZSP, our BMO S&P 500 index ETF that has that U.S. dollar currency exposure, has outperformed the hedge to Canadian dollar version. ZUE would be the ticker there uh, by about 7% uh, this year. So Canadian uh, currency outperforming international by about that 8% number. And then the U.S. dollar outperforming Canada even further uh, by about 7%. And so, again, you can see by either making a decision to hedge or not making a decision to hedge, um, you're really exposing yourself to to various different um, outcomes depending on what those underlying currency movements are. And so I would, again, just encourage any investor that's looking at any sort of investment outside of U.S. or outside of uh, Canada to really consider, you know, do I want this to be hedged or unhedged? Of course, you can always take the middle road and and do a 50-50 sort of blend um, if you don't have a strong view one way or the other. But in terms of how institutions are looking at this heading into 2023, you know, I think what's been driving that strength in the U.S. dollar, those those increases in short-term interest rates, you know, as Winnie mentioned, you know, maybe we're seeing a little bit of a, a turning point here in terms of CPI and inflation starting to get un- under control. Um, we're starting to see perhaps the end, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of U.S. interest rate increases, um, you know, potentially sh- uh, slowing their pace of increases and then eventually uh, stopping that at some point next year um, is, is the market's expectation. And so what has led to this U.S. dollar outperformance, we're starting to see that slow down. And as rates start to stabilize in the U.S. Um, and as other economies um, you know, play catch up a little bit with their interest rate increases, you can see that effect potentially um, starting to reverse itself. And so we do see investors looking for, I wouldn't say U.S. dollar weakness, but certainly not as much strength as there has been and maybe a little bit of reversion to the mean there. Um, going forward into 2023. And then, of course, for those global currencies, as weak as they have been, um, you know, again, without reaching a breaking point, there's going to be some mean reversion there as well with a little bit of an increase uh, relative to the US dollar and the Canadian dollar as well. So, again, something that all investors should be paying attention to. Um, at BMO, we try to offer all options to investors, whether that's a US uh, equity hedge back to the Canadian dollars, an international equity hedge back to the Canadian dollar, uh, or unhedged versions as well. And then similarly on the fixed income side, um, you know, it's something that I think all investors should look at. Um, and as we've seen this year, can create a, a significant difference uh, in the total return out of your out of your underlying investment. Great, thanks for that update, Chris. Amid rising interest rates and market volatility, how can investors get paid to wait? Explore BMO's top six ETFs yielding over 6%. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.ca and search for tickers ZWU, ZWB, ZPay, ZWC, ZWH, or ZBI. Or read our latest product insight. Well, we've got one more question that's coming from an advisor this, this week. As we approach year-end, we see that our low-ball ETFs, in particular the ZLU, our U.S. low-ball ETF, have maintained their outperformance even with an uptick in markets. So what are your expectations looking forward on low volatility? Is it still appropriate considering the relative outperformance, or is this something you'd look to trim into the new year? Thanks. 
Certainly a significant outperformance from low volatility strategies this year, given the sell-off we've seen in broader equity markets. Um, ZLU, as you mentioned, our BMO low volatility U.S. equity ETF, actually plus 7% or so year to date, um, depending on what day you're looking at. But, you know, a positive return in an environment where the S&P 500, you know, in Canadian dollars is down about 10% or so, let's call it. And so significant outperformance we've seen from those low volatility strategies, you know, protecting on the downside as uh, we would we would hope that they do. I think going forward, the expectation um, is for higher overall equity volatility to persist. Um, and that doesn't mean the VIX has to be at 25 or 30. Um, it just means it won't go back to those depressed levels that we saw during zero interest rate periods with quantitative easing. Um, providing that very, very low, uh, very, very accommodative monetary policy, um, you know, really depressing equity market volatility. The days of that are are gone. And so overall, the equilibrium, that neutral level of volatility will just be higher in the markets. And so we think low volatility strategies will play an important role going forward, more on the risk control side of things rather than an outperformance or, or a downside protection. Um, you know, as you say, investors looking to maybe lock in some of that outperformance going forward, that's not necessarily a bad strategy. The way we look at it is low volatility is a piece of your overall equity exposure. And, you know, what degree does that make up or what allocation does that make up in your entire equity portfolio? You know, if it was 100% in 2022, maybe you want to take that off, a little bit of that off the table and move that down to a 75% allocation, for example, or a 50% allocation. Um, again, in recognition of the fact that it has outperformed significantly, but that risk control element we think is still going to be very important going forward. Um, and so we think low volatility still has a place there. You know, in fact, we, we uh, recently put out a trade idea um, that's on the BMO ETFs.ca uh, dashboard um, that considers pairing our our ZLU, our low volatility U.S. equity ETF with ZNQ, our NASDAQ 100 ETF that we were discussing earlier. And that provides that growth potential that NASDAQ might give you, but it does it in a bit more responsible way in terms of risk control because you're also uh, maintaining exposure to those low vol equities, consumer staples, and and those sort of sectors um, as you like. And so for investors that want to take off that low vol, you know, that more uh, risk averse approach and are looking for a rebound in equities are looking for that growth potential, you know, pairing these two strategies together gives you something that approximates equity market volatility overall, but has the uh, potential to outperform potentially uh, if growth does come back. And if uh, the economy, um, you know, if we don't bottom out and we do head back into a growth environment, um, you know, those tech companies that make up the NASDAQ are going to lead the way out of that bottom. And so that's a good way to, you know, maybe think about pairing low volatility with another strategy, whether that is NASDAQ, whether that is just the broad market or, or, or some other strategy. We think that risk control element that low volatility plays is going to continue to be important going forward. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris. Certainly a lot of interest around low volatility performance this year and seeing ZLU, our U.S. low vol ETF, really outperform has uh, certainly caught advisors' interest. With that, that's all the questions that we have for this week. So I'd like to thank everyone for listening in. Thanks as well to both Winnie and Chris. I really appreciate those updates and responses. And with that, I just want to wish everyone a great day, good week, 
And thanks once again for listening in. Thank you to Mark Rays, Winnie Jang, and Chris McKinney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO ARK Innovation Fund ETF series, ticker ARKK, which invests in companies that represent the best risk-reward opportunities from ARK's investment theme of disruptive innovation. Our experts also discussed flexible fixed income strategies. The BMO Ultra Short-Term Bond ETF, ticker ZST, provides several key benefits, including enhanced liquidity, low duration, and no lockup period. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and approved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.